Not to mention, I probably have ADA. Are you familiar with attention that? Attention deficit is that attention attention deficit disorder? That one or is that? Oh no, it's it's called attention deficit advantage. So I've got. <laughs> I've got are we, we're on that spectrum too. We're definitely on that it. spectrum. I know. We're cut it. from the so, same rock there. So the idea of sitting in class <laughs> and then I have other an advantage. Hello and welcome to Happy Bear Podcast. Featuring the same three people as always. Hey! <laughs> Hi, uh, S- Sarah here. We did that joke last oh, time. Sorry, we can't do it again. Right. Okay, David here. <laughs> David here. Um, Sarah and Stephen. Do you know what I was thinking? Um, this time last week, we were in Lisbon. Wow. Oh, yeah. That went quick. And in two weeks' time, I'm in Lisbon again. Wow. I haven't booked as the am I. <laughs> I go to Poland. God, look at us. Changed world since this time last year. Yeah, hey? well, two years to kind of living in our bedroom. But I was also <laughs> we're thinking, making up for it. <laughs> you know, when we were in Lisbon, um, I was thinking to myself, like, what do other people do when they go to a city for a short period of time? And I was like, you guys, we basically kept the route, same routine that we always had, but we just adopted it in Lisbon. Like we even went to swim. I was thinking, remember the morning when we swam in the lake or the river and it yep. was like just outside Time Market and there's like commuters going by to work and there's a little patch of sand that we're on and there's like ra- like a sweet wrappers, cigarette wrappers, tissues. Calm down. <laughs> yeah, calm down. <laughs> I think I did see. Oh, you're like getting, ch- but from the the way you put your like Instagram story up, it looks glorious. It looks so I look pretty. like you're in Bahamas or something. But if we'd really turned it around, there was just all these passersby looking at us like, what the hell and are cars. they doing? <laughs> it was very pleasant though. Oh, it was a bit gross, but it was pleasant. Yeah, yeah. but it was. Well, I, well, I think it's good. Like, I think the idea of going away, like the whole idea with our trip to Lisbon was that we had a really important project, which we wanted to do and we just weren't getting it done at home. So the flights were 28 euro return to Lisbon. So it was like, let's go to Lisbon and we can focus in for two days. And we literally did. We camped out and we were working like, we did focus and nearly get all what we wanted done. Yeah, really our fun. routine was getting up, going for a run. We'd swim. Then we'd sit outside the fruit, fruit market, market. And, and eat mangoes. Gorge on fruit. <laughs> gorge on mangoes. And sitting whatnot. on the side of the street. <laughs> and then go to the coffee place and sit and drink coffees. Yeah. Get slightly work. high on caffeine. Yeah. Well, you did. We didn't. Yeah. And we, we abstained. Found, we were we so f- pious. We found a pasta. What are a they called? Pasta. Yeah. yeah. Vegan yeah. ones. That was pretty Muito good. Rico. Yeah. Um, should we talk about this very exciting adventure that's going to happen now shortly? As in the podcast, the podcast episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, which Can one, we Dave? talk about it? <laughs> yeah, go ahead. You're Do you want to say something permission. about it? Um, eat your sprites. Yeah. They're delicious. Uh, yeah, we, uh, because of the podcast tomorrow, I'm eating nothing but I've committed to eat 100% but sprouts. So what are sprouts, David, just before we get started? Are they Brussels okay, sprouts? Well, well, no, I, I, but even before we talk about it, I want to talk about Doug Evans because Doug is like, this, so this is the person we're doing the podcast with. You probably read it on the thing that you pressed. <laughs> <laughs> but like Doug is like, I really do believe he's like a visionary. Like he is a, like an, an incredibly charismatic, like eccentric like genius like and I, I really do mean that he's in the same category as Steve Jobs but with much more emotional awareness like I didn't know Steve Jobs or anything but from what I read about it but um, he's a serial entrepreneur that started multiple businesses you know he, he had a Organic Avenue he started which ended up they grew to 12 stores this is back in 2002 with juice bars like and, and this is organic cold pressed juice bars and raw food then he went and he raised and he sold it he yeah he sold, sold it and then he went and raised 135 million in Silicon Valley to try to that the, the blend 
blend between organic, fresh, cold-pressed juices and Silicon Valley tech, where he would have a juicer that would like scan the barcode, see if he knew it was in date, to know like what was in it, if there was any issue with food safety. It was, it was an incredible, you know, concept and slightly ahead of its time and probably would have been massively successful. It kept a couple of turns in it. Yeah, because how long ago was this? This is 2001 or something? No, this is back 2013. When we met Doug first, I think he was like, he was bump. It was just coming out. It was five years ago we met Doug because it was, it was, Ned was born then or maybe it was seven years ago. But uh, yeah, we met him before and, and literally spent a weekend in his company and he's, he really is this bright, shining force for good in the world and his recent reiteration is he ended up his uh, Juice Era business the 135 thing it as composted. he said it composted <laughs> and out of that has grown he, he he ended up he always loved hot springs and now he started a hot springs and he's got this incredible hot spring business just outside um, Joshua Tree in the desert in America but the conversation and today we do cover sprouts and how incredible they are and how we all could consume more for the and the, and the reason health. and the reason why he got into sprouts was because he lives in the desert, which is literally a food desert where it's 130 miles, an hour and a half to the nearest store. So he figured he needed to grow food. Nothing grows in the desert, so he started growing sprouts, and then he started just eating sprouts, and he just ate sprouts, and he said like he lost fat and his whole health changed, and he became had even more energy. Well, he <laughs> looks so young; he's yeah, 55, he and he looks like an. And he's marrying a 33 year old. I know. Yeah, he's and he really is a vigorous man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and we talk about, resi- he does this incredible theatre piece in it for four minutes in the middle of it, which is absolute pure class. So, and it's all about resilience and persistence. So hang in there. This is a ride. Like it really is. He is electric. It went so well that he ended up inviting us all to, to his wedding. wedding in two weeks time. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it'd be lovely to go. Like if we what could. What is it? The second. The 22nd of the second, the second, second. 2022. Because there's 22 years between him and his uh, wife-to-be. Yeah. They're married. The they're married, yeah. Oh, they're already married. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Oh, so it's the ceremony. Yeah. yeah. Oh, maybe they're not married. Yeah, of course. Yeah, Wedding, yeah. Not <laughs> no, they're not married. Yeah, yeah. She's That's pregnant. That's the whole point. Yeah, <laughs> She's pregnant. Um, okay, so should we kick it off now? Yeah. yeah. Without okay. further ado, ladies and oh, gentlemen, we give you. Oh, oh, well, well, I know. Before we start, it. Sorry, that was slightly premature. We're going to plug the book. Yes, yes, exactly. Okay, so <laughs> so the single biggest thing you can for climate change is eat more plants. The second biggest thing you can do is to waste plants less like daffodils, Dave. No, like vegetables. Incredible, tasty vegetables. Like the ten most popular vegetables. Ten ways with less than ten ingredients. Oh my god, yes. that sounds amazing. We have a new book called The Veg Box coming out June. It's available for pre-order. It is next level. It we would have- really help if you are listening and you do get merit out of this podcast. You go, maybe I feel I would like to support these gentlemen in some shape or form. Um, if you do, and in a way, you're going to be helping yourself and your family and the planet. Yeah, you so really is a selfish book. thing. Great sales. <laughs> but, uh, but literally we had to edit last weekend and I went through it and I made note of about 50 recipes that I want to cook again because it really is. And, and I said to Steve, it's such a good book. It's like by far our best book. Like we should have done this like 10 years ago because it really is good. Anyway, enough about the book. Right, we give you the wonderful... Doug Evans! Doug, we were thinking of going a little bit into the backstory because you're a phenomenally diverse man. That's you're a, you're uh, incredible. I think people should make movies about you. Like, I really do. I like, think you're like, you're a Steve we, Jobs we, we can level get into of... sprouts and all that, but I'd nearly like to do another podcast just on sprouts because we, we have a sprout farm and it's something that's, you know, we love and we know loads about. But just, you're a fucking legend, excuse my language, but you're, yeah. I've really enjoyed look, listening to your stories. Yeah, you know, I your spoke conquest. to your brother. I spoke to your brother that you've been keeping in the background for a long time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. How is that? 
that was terrific. Like it was, I fell in love. I really feel like I've got family. Like I'm going <laughs> to Ireland and move into the happy pair. <laughs> Come anytime, Doug. I, I've yeah, I've got a bath. I don't have a hot. We don't have a hot springs, but I have a bath. Uh, it's not well. I gotta say, maybe <laughs> what we should do is find the right fruits and vegetables that we can juice. And, oh. and there's a natural fusion that heats up, and we could be soaking in in the juices of plants. Like Brilliant, that, Doug. Doug. genius! I, I saw a video of eating a durian fruit. It looked magnificent. Oh, uh, have you like, eaten durian? I've yeah, eaten it a couple I, of times. I've eaten. I ate it in Borneo a good few years ago, and it was it was so pervy. It's such a delicacy. Like you know, I'd always read about it being the king of fruits, the queen of fruits, or whatever. But um, it didn't quite hook me as much. Like, and I brought it. I brought one back to you. You know, even though you're not meant to bring them on planes, I smuggled one home. And it was kind of like, yeah. it's on that line where it's nearly like too much. It's nice. It's amazing. It's, it's so, so weird. You're like, what the fuck is, excuse my language again, but you know, you're just on the edge of like, whoa, is this, do I like this? Do I, know, I hate it? I know you, I know you. I flew to tell you something. It's very much like um, your first intimate sexual interaction. I was so going to say, imagine, it's like your first orgasm. You're not sure if it's good or bad. And afterwards you're like, oh, no, no, my first orgasm was epic. It was like, <laughs> whoa, I want that again. Um, but I, I think with durian, it's so foreign and it's so unbelievable in terms of the sugar and the fat and the texture and the smell that if you, and, and by the way, you have to start off with perfect durian. So if you have just a random durian, you know, it could make you averse. So my first durian was like, eh, I was at a clothing optional retreat with David Wolf at Harbin Hot Springs. And they had a far, they had like a frozen durian and everyone's just like scooping out of it. And I was like, eh. And then when David was in New York, um, it was durian season and these fresh durians were coming off of the plane to Chinatown. And so we were on a hunt and we found a place and we spent hundreds of dollars. And David was just so like into it that it was like monkey see, monkey do. I started <laughs> to get into it. And, and then, you know, in 2017, after Juicera was composted, I got on the first plane to Borneo because it was durian season. And I met up with these raw foodists and literally we were feasting on durian and we, I stayed there until the durian season ended. And then they're, um, they're like, okay, guys, what do we do now? And they're like, we're going to Bali. We're chasing the durian. So then I went to Bali. And so once I would say after you eat durian 10 times, you will be hooked. Like it is complete. It is complete. The wow. only thing I love more than durian is sprouts. <laughs> ah, there we go. I, I had durian. I had durian on the streets of Borneo, but I think it was overly fermented, or it was gone, or it was the end of the season, or something. And like I'd read so much about it. Like, and for anyone's listening, durian is like this massive fruit. It's about I don't know. It's huge. It's like the. It's like a breadfruit. It's like 
10 rugby balls put together with spikes with on spikes. it. And it stinks. Yeah. yeah. And it smells of like cheese and like you're not allowed to bring it in buses or planes or in hotels in, in Malaysia because it just stinks of like cheese. So it's like, it's such a coveted fruit. And like, I've been reading about it for years and I remember tasting it. It's like, it's like eating like cheese meets caviar meets dirty socks meets like Mango. I don't know what the heck it is but it's like it is very unique and very distinct so and Doug's probably gone to find one right now yeah no no I I, I have frozen durian in the refrigerator in the freezer hold on let me grab some <laughs> jeez no surprise no surprise I don't get mad at my wife but I think it's really rude that she ate the last durian like I, <laughs> I, can't, turn, I can't turn I can't turn my back on her um, oh, well, there you, you guys go. want to hear a durian story before we yes. go? Okay. Yeah. So I'm in New York City and I'm now like hooked on durian. Like I'm eating durian every single day. It is these expensive habits. It is the staple of like what I'm eating. And like, what does I'm a durian so- cost? What does it cost to buy one in New York City? The, the cost of a fresh durian in New York City is somewhere around 60 to $70. Wow. They've now, they've now gone over $100. So it's the opposite of sprouts, which are available and accessible to everybody, like fresh durian. Now, frozen durian used to be a dollar a pound, and now it's like $4 a pound. And with the durian, you're getting this massive um, uh, fruit but you only eat a little bit. So most of it is the protective mechanism, right? So it has a thick shell, it has the thorns, it has this pith-like structure inside. But at any rate, I love durian. This is 2001, October 11th, one month after 9-11 with what happened at the World Trade Center. And I don't want to talk about conspiracies. So we're not going to talk about that. But <laughs> but one month after that, I have to go to Florida for a meeting. So I'm flying out of LaGuardia Airport in New York City. And I bring a durian in a plastic bag. And I'm bringing it. And I'm very concerned with EMFs and radiation. So I would never go through the machine right? And I never want my fruit to go through the machine. So I stop at the TSA security and I say, I'm bringing my lunch on the plane. Can you please manually check it? Because I don't want it to become irradiated. So the guy's like, no problem. He looks in the bag and he goes, this is a weapon. You cannot bring this on the plane. (laughs) And I said, well, what am I going to do? This is like a $60 fruit. Like, I'm not going to leave it here and I need it. (laughs) So he goes, well, you got to go eat it. I said, no, no, I don't eat before noon. It's only nine o'clock in the morning right now. And so I was like, okay. So I go on the stainless steel table and I open it up. I scoop out the flesh. (laughs) I throw the flesh into the bag and I leave this open durian carcass like on the stainless steel table, because I was pissed that they were making me open it prematurely. So now I have this bag of durian with my luggage. I'm waiting for the plane. And it stinks, like it stinks as well. It's starting to to spread the thing. (laughs) The airport, high ceilings, good circulation, you don't know. 
So then I get on the plane and I put my durian on my seat and I'm trying to find room for my luggage in the overhead. And it's a crowded plane, not one seat open because all the planes had been shut down and now they were just starting to fly. And um, October, everyone wants to go to Miami Beach. So all of a sudden I hear Doug Evans, please identify yourself because they started to smell the, this durian <laughs> on my seat. And my intuition knew like something was funky. So I leave my luggage on the floor, right? Blocking the aisle. I climb <laughs> over people. I grab my durian bag. And then I go all the way to the back of the plane and I lock the door and I'm like, <laughs> I don't care what time it is. And I'm fiending on the durian. And I eat like, you know, at least like pounds of flesh. And then I'm flushing the seeds down and I even flush <laughs> the plastic bag down. I'm trying to wipe it off, but it's kind of like alone now. It smells. And then, then they're like, um, I, I come out and by my seat, there's a federal marshal, there's the pilot, there's the co-pilot, there's all the stewardesses because they thought that I had biological chemical warfare on the plane. My and they, God. Want to, they want to like, a, like literally evacuate the plane and arrest me. And I was like, guys, it was just my fruit. I just had some fruit. Like it was just <laughs> fruit. And no, they didn't want to believe me. And I said, look, I don't want to, you know, do this, but is there anyone Chinese on the plane? Because they will explain to you it was just a fruit. And there was a doc, a Chinese doctor sitting in first class. And, you know, he comes up and he goes, What's going on? And I was like, they're yelling at me for my durian. And he goes, What's the problem? You didn't share the durian with them? <laughs> <laughs> what a story. And then I'm sitting in a middle seat and everyone's looking at me and I'm like, I got a durian eating grin because I got to eat the whole durian. <laughs> so, <laughs> what a story. That's a classic. What an intro. Jeez, that's well, a good you guys, one. You go to Borneo, you go to Malaysia, you go to Thailand and you go to Bali, you eat durian, you're going to be a happy camper. Just trust me. You just got to eat enough do it. to trigger it. But here's yeah. the thing. Because it was the same. It was the, it was the same with mango. Like I remember mango. People used to talk about mango so much. And it wasn't until like, and, and we had tasted it before. Like it wasn't until I was 21 that I tasted my first bit of mango. And I thought it was kind of like, oh, it's blah. It's kind of like rubbery or whatever. And then I remember tasting it in Costa Rica when it was in season and I got it. Like I just got it and I fell in love with it. And it was like, like it's my, still my favorite fruit you to this spoke day. You about kind of walking into the village and just skipping. Yeah. Yeah. Trees. I remember, like, I remember then I used to, like, I was, I was just traveling. So when I used to walk into town and I'd, instead of looking for a shop, I'd look for a mango tree, I'd climb up a tree and I'd sit in a, a, a tree, like a happy, you know, like, a, like, a, I don't know what the hell I was, like a sloth or something. And I'd just sit and eat mangoes until I was, so had a mango yeah. grin on me, I you mean, know. There have been days when I've eaten 20 mangoes, like no, no exaggeration. If you get a ripe mango, um, it's, it's the best. And, but you eat something that's not ripe, the mango, it's like eating a rubber tire, right? Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah, no desire. And for me, I only eat food now 
that I'm over the moon with. Like it has to be in divine perfection. But, the, um, but then that levels. goes, cause, cause like you've got your durian, which is like, it's so sweet. Like it is the ultimate nectar. Like it is referred to as the king of all fruits. And then you've got mango and you've got these other incredibly sweet, delicious things. And then on the other hand, like sprouts, we all know they're the most nutritious things. Like we genuinely are like, we've got a sprout farm or whatever, but when I eat them, like they, they taste like a vegetable. They're like, they're grand. They're fine. I eat them cause I know they're good for me. They're like medicine but they're not in the same league as mango's jury. Yeah, and part, part of my question, Doug, just, just to, to, on that is like, is part of the human consciousness is that we kind of need this sense of like curiosity towards the darkness. Like say there's the light and dark and there's the duality of life and say sprouts, we all know are really, really good and we know we should eat them. And we know like that's where health is, but chocolate tastes great. And we kind of like to kind of, explore the duality of life. I don't know. Anyway, maybe I'm going a bit philosophical on this. No, no. I I think you're bringing up a really good point because gentlemen, you need to like become like Zen, right? Jedi masters. Well, you have to become this Jedi master where, and have you done the 10 day Vipassana meditation? Done a few of them. Yeah, we did it. We did them 20 years ago. We ended up doing them and we loved them. Well, you understand um, you have to observe your cravings, observe what you're clinging to, right? And observe what you're averting to, right? So what happens is what I'm hearing is you have an aversion to just like unflavored vegetables that have no salt, oil, or sugar, or fat that are not fun, colorful. And you crave the, the sweet mango, the sweet nectar, the sweet chocolate exotic things, which um, I, I know, right? Like I, I am, my brother said I would weigh a thousand pounds if I wasn't raw vegan because I have a voracious appetite. I eat as much as I want until I'm not hungry or full. But at some point, um, the brain triggers you and says enough, like you've had enough. So in the early days of playing, you know, with exotic fruits and vegetables, you go crazy. And then you finally like hit a point where you're like enough. And now um, I'm so aware that of my cravings towards sweet fruit, like mangosteens are so expensive they're so like, they're this big, but you can only eat this much inside. And you just become aware of, oh, okay, okay. And now the what I eat for, like I'm eating because I'm rebuilding my cells every single day so that I can, like I'm 55 and a half. I am middle age because I'm going to live to 111. So I'm exactly middle age. So I'm aware of everything. Like I'm drinking water out of a glass bottle with silicon on it. That's filtered water that I'm adding volcanic um, minerals, you know, into it to remineralize because I have distilled water. You don't say right? extreme at all, Doug. I, I mean, I've, I've been more extreme, my friend. I know. I can so, imagine. So I think the thing is, if you want to make sprouts good, and by the way. I crave sprouts. Like I crave, it's a different craving. You know, it's like the the craving for. um, 
for feeling the good. Craving, well, you know, the the craving for pure pleasure, right? I guess it's the difference between, you know, orgasm and intimacy, right? And so when you're a young buck, you, I wasn't want, expecting that metaphor with sprouts. I've never seen sprouts lead me down that road. That that's of a metaphor in that regard. Brilliant. But, but, but in, in a way it is. Like in a way, everyone's, you know, when, when you're, at least for me, there was a time when I was craving the orgasm, right? And then at some point it clicks and you start to crave the intimacy, the deeper connection. You get beyond the, the ego and you start to live from the heart and you start to do things that can help other people and can help the planet. And you get outside of this immediate craving for instant gratification um, and self-aggrandizement, right? So when you have that, like I love the fruit, right? But when I think about sprouts, I it's like this intimate relationship with this living life force energy that's in those seeds that contain the endosperm, the embryo, and all of the energy it needs to take a dry seed and grow into a mature vegetable. Like every seed has that magical potential. And when you're eating that, like it is not only is it like a drug, it is a drug. Right. So in my number three precip, sprouts are a medicine, right? They are medicine and they can treat um, chronic and acute illnesses. And if, if you tune into them, they like they make your hair grow. They water your eyes. They soften your skin. They provide healthy red blood cells. They provide healthy white blood cells. They stimulate the lymphatic system. Like I've done extensive sprouting where I've lived on sprouts and I've never felt so free, so harmonious, so uh, congruent with nature as when I was eating just the sprouts. Like it was just mind boggling. I think there's something about that, like often with modern day life, we're always, you know, looking for more and more and more. And often the ironic part of life is the more disciplined and structured you are, often the more free you can feel because there's that sense of boundaries. And like I can relate to that times when I was fasting, not eating. There was just this sense of clarity. There was you had more time to focus on everything. And you kind of in a weird way, you went to this deeper spiritual, more connected space. And I think sprouts and that sense of consciousness towards your food can be quite aesthetic or what's the word? Ascetic, ascetic, slightly ascetic um, in terms of in its contrast to modern day living. But it can be remarkably fulfilling. Did you ever get your meta? Did you ever like you've been a raw vegan for 20 years now? Did you ever get like 22. your metabolic? 22. Did you ever get like your metabolic age test or anything like this? Because like you, you like you we look are, very we youthful. Are, we're advocates of healthy living and have been for 20 years. Like you've been more extreme than we have. Like you've gone to the high, to the finite perfectionist degree, really. So like and, and you do look good when I look at you now, you're like you look like a young 30. No, you look you do look good. So like, did you ever get any tests or any of that kind of stuff? Or have you gone kind of gone fact that I don't believe in that? I, I you know. I think a lot, you know, I saw a 
And I don't want to talk about um, conspiracy on COVID or anything else like that. Like, you know, we're, we're having a big, we're having a, an event here in a few weeks um, and we're going to test everybody. But I, I saw something that someone sent me. It was the new rapid COVID test from China. And it was the fortune cookie. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Do you have it? Do you don't have it? So I think that the greatest test is, do I have the energy to pound the pavement and, you know, and go for a, a 5K, 10K, 20K run? Like, do I have the energy to do that? Do I have the clarity and the mindset to leap out of my bed as soon as my like I'm awake, like rolling around under the sheets, that's a drug. And that like holds you back. So like my discipline is when I awake, I will leap from my cot while the failure sleeps yet another minute. So like I just jump out. And to me, like that's a, a good part. The other thing is I set my alarm what time to meditate at night before I go to sleep? Because otherwise I may go all through the night and wonder what that light is coming through the window and it's the sunrise. So, so I need to know like, okay, it's time to wind down. So, so as long as like I'm in the physical form that has the energy that I could see my lower body parts without having a distended gut, right? As long as I, I fit in my clothes, that's the metabolic test for me. Like, mm, do like you have that. the strength? Do you have the energy? Do you have the memory? Do you have the clarity? Like, you know, I emailed you guys a few, a few months ago and I was like, Hey, mate, like after we had our, our zoom and I was like, let's do a, let's do um, like an Instagram live or something. And you guys didn't respond. And then I, I did another one and you guys didn't respond. So then my intuition is like, these guys get so much email. They're like out doing handstands, eating their mangoes. You, you got to disrupt them with a text message. So I, I reverse engineered intuitive because I didn't have your phone numbers, but I figured out, okay, how could I send one of, one of these happy pairs a message? And then boom, it was like I cracked open the shell and all of a sudden I'm speaking to Stephen and David and Dara and your other local Harold. sprout man, Harold. And, and here we are. So, <laughs> so, but in, before I had this, this level of consciousness, I might've had an irrational belief that, oh, these guys don't like me. They, they don't like me or, oh, screw them. They don't respond, et cetera. But instead I was like, greet this day with love in my heart. Let's plant another seed in the happy pears, see if it could sprout, because this is the manifestation of something I wanted to do for two years. I wanted to be on your podcast. Yay! And that's one thing that I really, like, two, three things come up straight away with me. And one thing is, like, you have a remarkable kind of insatiable enthusiasm. We're, we're really, like, energizer bunnies and remarkably enthusiastic. And you have the same kind of you know, voracious appetite for life, just enthusiasm and this sense of 
not giving up. Like like that example there where you sent two emails, you didn't you didn't get turned back. How do you deal with like rejection with failure like you're someone who's raised 135 million dollars started an incredible business that literally was had the potential to change how people consumed juices you, you, and, you're a visionary like you really are a visionary and it's like you are also so resilient and mentally tough and like your mental fortitude like i don't know how you do it and i'm just like i think what's what i'm picking up what steven's talking about is could you talk about like resilience or like because I know it's like you kind of almost coined it back to when you were in the army or something that kind of like conditioned you in a sense to, I don't know. Could you, could you talk about? Yeah. So, so number one, right. I'm just like everybody else, right. Just everybody else. And I, I got beat up. I got, you know, I experienced failure. I got arrested. I got thrown out of schools. I, you know, my parents, may they rest in peace, loved me so much, they abused me. Like all of this stuff happened. And, you know, in the course of reading great literature, like I, I remembered, like when I learned how to read, I didn't want to read, like I didn't want to do my homework. When I started to read, I realized that not reading great literature um, and now nonfiction and fiction and everything was worse than not knowing how to read because here were the, the, the keys to the kingdom like available through libraries, through everything, like there was this information. So I remember asking one of my friends who appeared successful to give me a reading list. And he gave me the list of the New York Times top 100 classics. And in one year, I read a hundred books and the stories and the depth and, and the, the, the description of these great writers that was filtered down. Cause anybody can write a book. Look, I wrote a book, right? Anybody can, you guys wrote, wrote a book, but <laughs> the great, the great classics have proven the test of time. So when you read those very, very inspiring and it forces you to use your imagination as opposed to sitting, watching TV, and you just become a zombie. Like, you have to be present when you read, right? So I read a lot, and then I became more curious. And then I met various people. And I met one guy who also was so successful. I mean, this guy was successful. He was abundant. He was generous. He was funny. He was a family guy. Like he seemed to have it all. And I asked him, I said, George, how, like, what was the secret to your success? And he told me, you need to become the greatest salesman in the world. Like you just need to be able to do that. Because if you can sell anything, then you can sell anything. And you need to be able to do that. And part of sales is to understand that most people will not buy from you and most people will reject you and that it's anything, whether it's developing a life relationship, whether it's you know buying merchandise, whether it's selling merchandise, you are going to face exponentially more um, failure and rejection than you will success. But you only need to succeed 
only once in these interactions. So when I, when I was raising the $100 million, right, I got well over a thousand no's. Like people, like people didn't want to talk to me. I was like a freak, right? I'm like schlepping around this prototype on the subway train, you know, with with a with a, one of those pelican cases and a cooler filled with bags of produce that I I I cut up, I put in cheesecloth, I put them in a Ziploc bag. Then I got the compressor and I've got this jerry rig thing and I'm dragging it around <laughs> on the train and I'm trying to talk to anybody who was looking good in a suit, right? And so de- developing the skill to talk to strangers was really, really powerful. Right? So you were almost like and, a zealot, like, like just like absolute blind faith in what you were doing. Like it was just, you were laser focused. Oh, I was laser focused and I had some blind spots. Right. In, in a way, you know, you guys run the happy pair. Organic Avenue was my happy pair. Right. We had 12 stores in New York City. We did fresh, ripe, raw, organic um, salads, entrees, smoothies, desserts, wheatgrass shots. Um, we would have raw dinners. We would sell like the, the raw food powders and snacks and all these things we'd had, and we'd have all like, you know, the the people come by, whether it was Doug Graham or Gabriel Cousins or Brian Clement or David Wolf, um, they'd come by and give talks. And we did that. And we were in New York City, where most people in New York City um, are drinking coffee, eating meat, et cetera. And we would open up stores. We, we figured that Starbucks knew what they were doing, right? So wherever Starbucks had a store, we would try to be next to them. And we were buying these buying these things. And it was nuts. It was just nuts. The landlords, we didn't have the credit. We didn't have the financial history. We didn't have the sales. Like everything was just nuts. But I really believed that people would like it. And I remember like when we would have no customers in the store, I would go next door to Starbucks and it'd be a long line. And I'd be like, you're and I'm I'm not this aggressive anymore. Like, but I'm like, you're really gonna drink cow pus and refined sugar, liquid diabetes, you know, and caffeine, and you're just gonna make you fatter, bro. Why don't you come and have a green juice? And I was like, I'll buy you the green juice, it's ten dollars. And like I would drag people in. That didn't really work too well. I end up just uh, giving out money and it, it didn't work. But then I said, okay, you got to find people that are aligned. So then I'd go to the yoga studios, you know, and I would talk to people in the yoga studios and I would tell them about our process. And you have to think about in 2002, no one had heard the term cold pressed juice. There was Mm -hmm. cold pressed olive oil, right? But no one had heard the term cold pressed juice and all the juice bars had the, you know, and there weren't a lot of them, but they all would have this centrifugal spinning juicer and they'd have produce laid out, not refrigerated, maybe on a cold plate. And maybe they were using gloves or not using gloves. And they'd be 
washing the produce or not washing the produce and making the juice. And there was this theater around the juice we bar. Were, we were one of those juice bars. We had one in 2005, exactly as you described there with a centrifugal juicer. So yeah, we know all about it. So, so when, when we discovered the, the and my, my partner then, Denise, um, had a friend who had a Norwalk juicer. And the only time we had heard about the Norwalk juicer was through Gerson therapy. They were we using the Norwalk juicer to reverse um, cancer. And then we had heard like certain celebrities had their private deaths using the Norwalk juicer. So we were intrigued. And then one of our customers um, who was like some health coach or whatever, one of her abundant clients bought her the Norwalk juicer as a gift. And she was like, I never use this. You guys can have it. And I started to press juice, you know, in our little loft. And the nectar that came out of the Norwalk juicer versus the spinning centrifuge was like night and day. So I really fell in love with pressed juice. And then we realized that the pressed juice had a longer shelf life. Like if you use the centrifugal juice, you needed to drink it right away. But if you took the juice from the Norwalk and you put it in a glass bottle and you, you, you packed it, it could last for days. So we started to make these juices. And then, you know, this was still in our apartment, in our loft in Chinatown. And people were loving it. And they were telling their abundant early adopter friends. And next thing you know, we're driving around with bicycles and paper bags, you know, selling the juices. And that's where it started. But when we had to make the decision, and this was nuts, are we going to start a juice bar with no bar? Are we going to make the juices in a clean environment, bottle them offline, put them in a glass bottle, and then sell them? Like, how will that go? And a normal juice was $5. We were selling our juice for $10, and then we were collecting a $2 bottle deposit for it. So, so it was $12. Really did, what, so it was $12. Wow. And then, so it, it, it was part of it, but I believed so much in the divine perfection of raw juice, of green juice, of glass bottles, of cold pressed. And so that, committed to it. You were so just, this so is committed. beautiful. And, and, and that helps you overcome obstacles. It doesn't necessarily make you financially abundant because you... You have to understand all of the laws, not just some of the laws, right? So you still have to pay rent. You know, you, you, things take time, like as much as seeds and sprouts are a miracle and they're super quick, like it takes months or years to grow a garden. It takes days to grow sprouts, but not seconds. Right. Yeah. So you, you have to be somewhat in line with the laws of nature in order to be successful in, in what you're doing. So the resilience, I'll tell you yes. about the resilience. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Here we are. And, and I may do a performance. Do you want a little performance? Yes. It takes I love four it. Minutes, 40 seconds. Okay. Yeah. So I want, you, I want you guys to know, and like sometimes like it's better if I'm looking at the screen right? Because then you could see my facial expressions. But sometimes people question 
you know, it's like, oh, is he reading a teleprompter or the like? So I, I can do it with my eyes open or closed. So I'm going to ask you because I'm going to give you about 2,500 words that I memorized on a chapter on persistence, which is embodied in my DNA, which helps me to overcome all obstacles. So, so do you like I say this to yourself? Do you like, like, you know, the way if wait, you're wait, wait, wait. for anyone listening that is kind of feeling a bit down, feeling a little bit unmotivated, prepare yourself for one of the great speeches. Doug Evans is going to do it with his eyes. Open. open. I think I want them open. I want to see, I see, I want to see into your soul, Doug, as you deliver this, this performance. Okay. So four minutes, 40 okay. seconds, 2,500 yeah, words. Approximately plus or minus plus or minus. Okay. Okay. This is from a book that was written by a recovering alcoholic who realized that he read the book, Think and Grow Rich, and then was inspired by Think and Grow Rich, which was a really big, thick book, and said, I want to distill the messages from this book into a little book so that I can share it with people who, you know, who need to learn resilience, who need to become successful. And the book has many chapters. The first chapter is on, on developing good habits. So I develop good habits. I shower, I brush my teeth, I, I go to sleep reasonably, I, I exercise. So I got good habits. The second chapter is on love. I'll greet this day with love in my heart, which I, I probably need to do even more because I'm not as evolved in the unconditional love and acceptance of all beings as. I can be, but I'm becoming a lot more loving and compassionate and patient with people. But that's a lot of work for me because I want I want everyone to be like a rocket ship and arr, and I want everyone to show <laughs> up on time and I want everyone to live their fullest potential life. And I have to be, you know, more understanding that not everyone. What's is the book do called? What's the book called? It's called The Greatest Salesman in the World. Was <laughs> oh, this your member? What was the name of your friend that that gave you the quote? You got to be a good salesman. It was Greg or Graham or uh, George, George 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 Nader. Yes. Okay, so go. here we go. So this is the chapter on persistence. It's called the Scroll on Persistence. I'll greet this. Oh, I was going to give you love. I guess love wanted to come out. So, but that what that one is. I'll greet this day. Okay, we'll start again. Right, right, right. Okay, take two. Okay. I will persist until I succeed. In the Orient, young bulls are tested for the fight arena in a certain manner. Each is brought to the ring and allowed to attack a picador who pricks them with a lance. The bravery of each bull is then rated with care according to the number of times he demonstrates his willingness to charge in spite of the sting of the blade. Henceforth, I will recognize that each day I'm tested by life in like manner. If I persist, if I continue to try, if I continue to charge forward, I will succeed. I'll persist until I succeed. I was not delivered until this world in defeat, nor does failure course in my veins. I'm not a sheep waiting to be prodded by my shepherd. I am a lion and I refuse to talk, to walk, to sleep with the sheep. I will hear not those who weep and complain for their disease is contagious. Let them join the sheep. The slaughterhouse of failure is not my destiny. I'll persist until I succeed. The prizes of life are at the end of each journey, not near the beginning, and is not given to me to know how many steps are necessary in order to reach my goal. 
failure I may still encounter at the thousandth step, yet success hides behind the next bend in the road. Never will I know how close it lies unless I turn the corner. Always will I take another step. If that is no avail, I'll take another and yet another. In truth, one step at a time is not too difficult. I will persist until I succeed. Henceforth, I will consider each day's effort as but one blow of my blade against the mighty oak. The first blow may cause not a tremor in the wood, nor the second, nor the third. Each blow of itself may be trifling and seem of no consequence. Yet from childish swipes, the oak will eventually tumble. So it will be with my efforts of today. I'll be likened to the raindrop which washes away the mountain, the ant who devours a tiger, the star which brightens the earth, the man who builds a pyramid. I'll build my castle one brick at a time, for I know that small attempts repeated will complete any undertaking. I'll persist until I succeed. I will never consider defeat, and I'll remove from my vocabulary such words and phrases as quit, cannot, unable, impossible, out of the question, improbable, failure, unworkable, hopeless, and retreat, for they are the words of fools. I will avoid despair, but if this disease of the mind should infect me, then I will work on in despair. I will toil and I will endure. I'll ignore the obstacles at my feet and keep mine eyes on the goals above my head, for I know that where dry desert ends, green grass grows. I'll persist until I succeed. I'll try and try and try again. Each obstacle I will consider as a mere detour to my goal and a challenge to my profession. I'll persist and develop my skills as the mariner develops his by learning to ride out the wrath of each storm. I'll persist until I succeed. Henceforth, I will learn and apply another secret of those who excel in my work when each day is ended, not regarding whether there's been a success or a failure, I'll attempt to achieve one more sail. When my thoughts beckon my tired body homeward, I will resist the temptation to depart. I will try again. I'll make one more attempt to close with victory. And if that fails, I will make another. Never will I allow any day to end with a failure. Thus, I'll plant the seed of tomorrow's success and gain insurmountable advantage over those who cease their labor at a prescribed time. When others cease their struggle, then mine will begin and my harvest will be full. I'll persist until I succeed, nor will I allow yesterday's success to lull me into today's complacency, for this is the great foundation of failure. I'll forget the happenings of the day that is gone whether they were good or bad, and greet the new sun with confidence that this will be the best day of my life. So long as there is breath in me, so long will I persist. For I know one of the greatest principles of success. If I persist long enough, I will win. I will persist. I will win. Good. 
God. Doug Evans. That, that is, was remarkable. Jeez. There's something quite spiritual about that. It's kind of like like the poem If by Rudyard Kipling. Like that sense that it's Jeez. it's more than the words. It's like a spiritual practice. It's like kind of enjoying the journey, savoring the moment, making the best of what you have, forgetting the success of yesterday. And success is the ability to enjoy the moment. <laughs> How, how did you learn that? Did you like sit and just read it and read it and read it and hammer it in? Like, or how did you? Oh, yeah, yeah. I just like, I just hammered it in. I hammered it. I said, I said, I love those words. And I want, I want to be able to know, like all of a sudden, like end of the day, oh, I'm tired. I was like, wait, wait, I didn't have a success yet. Who can I call? Who can I call? Go down the list. Make some more calls. Make some more calls. I got to end this day with success. I'm not going to quit. And, you know, so that like it applies to everything that I do, everything I do, those words, those actions, it becomes as instinctive as the blinking of my eyelashes. Boom, boom, boom. And there was even a quote I heard you say, you said, within every adversity lies the equal up, equal or better opportunity within the adversary. And that was a quote which you kind of referenced in terms of Juicero, where like, as you said, you borrowed 135 million, you had this incredible experience. And then at the other side, you said, within that very experience, this this happens for me, not to me. And within this adversity lies the capacity to have an even greater success. The seeds of exactly. it are, lie within it. I mean, the mindset is, are you a victor or are you a victim? Right. And I didn't want to be this like, oh, the, 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 the people were mean to me and they fired me and I was abused because then I'm a victim and then I'm helpless. And I was like, no, fuck that. Like, <laughs> I did this. I did my best. I made a bunch of mistakes. I identified every one of my mistakes. I went and I taught a class at Harvard Business School about my mistakes and my blind spots. And here you go, mate. Every identified mistake is a success. If you can identify the mistake, it's a success. So I did all of these things and I learned things that you can't learn in the Harvard Business School. You have to learn by doing, by being present, by being in the ring, because that's the only way. You can't learn anything from just theorizing it. So to me, within every adversity lies the seed of a greater equivalent benefit. This is profound knowledge. Like we all make mistakes, but if those mistakes hold us back, then you wasted your time, right? You suffered endlessly. But if you learn from them and you can apply them to something else and you could see the benefit, then it's this inspiring opportunity to do more and, and to, to use that as fertilizer, right? So that's why I described the demise of Juicero was the composting of the Juicero and not the burning, right? There's a metaphor, Phoenix rising from the ashes. I'm sprouting from the compost. You get it? 
Yeah, I get it. We yeah, get like it. Good one, Doug. Good no, one, like Doug. It. And again, there's something spiritual about that. It's and can I ask something? Like, because people listening here, like, I, like I admire you so much. I genuinely do. I think you're. I think you're a visionary. I think you're up there with Steve Jobs in terms of your capacity to your tenacity, your creativity, your vision. Like, I really do. I, I have such admiration. And I wonder for anyone listening that doesn't necessarily know your backstory, like. You grew up, like I've heard you mention that when you were a teenager, you were like, you were crap at school. You were like, you hung around with a whole lot of degenerates. Like you didn't have a privileged upbringing. And like your mindset was not this abundant, persistent mindset, which you have now. And you probably didn't feed yourself these incredible foods, which you do now. Could you even give a context for anyone listening that goes, who is this guy? Like he's, how did he become this incredible person that you are today like could you tell a little bit just to give a reference towards like your background or like even that phase of like being a teenager and that kind of journey that that you you know that that great transformation what happened yeah i mean look i i think that you know we all choose our parents so they say i don't fully understand what they mean by that but i accept it right so you know my my father had a tough time working you know he was probably you know, explosive in his anger and didn't have that many skills. And my mother was sweet and they were in a codependent relationship and we didn't have a lot of money. So we were in like, um, you know, some upper part of Manhattan and at some point and a lot of raging, a lot of TVs, a lot of love, but also just madness. Like the house was crazy in in the (laughs) house. And then my parents got us this scholarship for me and my brother to go to this private Hebrew school in another county. And it was very thoughtful of them because, you know, the public schools where we lived were just terrible and dangerous. And what age were you now? What age were you now? This was first grade. This was probably six or seven, you know, six or seven years old. Super young. And so we, we got there and in this school, Kids were being dropped off in their Mercedes. They had like palatial estates they were coming from. They had maids. They had servants. They were all sweet. Like I I had no bullying. These kids were the nicest kids. I'm still friends with some of them today. Um, They were the nicest. But in my mind, like I couldn't understand like why they had all of these things. Like we would go, I would go to some of their houses after school and they'd have bowls of fruit and baskets of cookies and pinball machines and pool tables and ping pong tables. And we'd go home and we had a black and white TV, you know, and a couch that was falling apart. And my mother, may she rest in peace, would make a dinner and everything was rationed, you know, like she'd buy like one chicken and cut into quarters. And I remember, you know, if cherries were in season, we'd get like six cherries and everything was rationed. And now I think like, you know, she was doing a great job managing the resource of what she had. She wasn't in the abundance consciousness. But then in the school, everyone came from a religious family. So they're teaching Hebrew and English. And um, they're at home. They would They would say their prayers. They would go off on the Sabbath and not work. And then they, you know, they would go home and their parents would help them with their homework. Like these are kids that were growing up well-groomed and we would go home. Our parents weren't religious. We didn't say our prayers. 
We didn't observe the Sabbath. We didn't do any of the other rituals. And as a result, I didn't do the homework either. So <laughs> I just, you know, my bullshit detector was like, hey, either I'm going to be all in and we're all all in, but this incongruency isn't working for me. And this came up to me like I didn't realize this until probably 40 years later. But that was the time, crazy house. And so as a result, if you don't do your homework, you know, and you don't get good grades, like it just becomes ugly. And I just kept getting more and more punished for not doing good. Not to mention, I probably have ADA. Are you familiar with attention that? Is that attention, attention deficit disorder, that one, or is that? Oh, no, it's, it's called attention deficit advantage. So I've got, <laughs> I've got we, we're on that spectrum too. We're definitely on that it. spectrum. I know we're cut it. from the so, same rock there. So the idea of sitting in class <laughs> and then I had this other an advantage. And and then I had this other stuff going on that I was I was blind as a bat. I couldn't see. So and and I didn't like to wear my glasses. So I couldn't see the classroom. I couldn't see the blackboard. So school was a disaster for me. <laughs> so well, they ended up telling my parents, look, we were very thoughtful and generous with you and, and, your, and your son, Douglas, but he really you know, doesn't belong here because he doesn't <laughs> listen to anybody. He doesn't show up to class. He doesn't do his homework. And, you know, we're giving you this for free. Like, we don't need this. And the worst thing is he's disruptive. So like, we, we don't want him here anymore. So my parents, of course, yell at me and punish me and tell me, you know, you're, you belong with the scum of the earth. We're going to put you in public school. So then I'm in, you know, a public school and a lot of diversity in this public school. And again, I'm not doing the homework. And there's drug dealers in the school. There are guys like stealing tires from cars and stealing radios. And there's gangs. And there were also these graffiti writers. And that looked cool to me, like writing graffiti, writing your name, you know, had this whole like ecosystem of nefarious activities. You'd have to steal your spray paint. You'd have to break into the subway yard and then you write in your name on the train and then you see your name and you think like you're famous. And then there was a game amongst all the graffiti writers trying to do the prettiest things and the biggest things and the most prolific things. So I gravitated into that world of the graffiti. And I was happy um, with the graffiti writers because I understood the language of the hustle of the of this thing. And so I did that. But turns out some of these graffiti writers were like rabid dogs. So they turned on you. They'd steal from you. They'd beat you up. It wasn't like in the private school where they would yell at you and call you a name. Like here, like it was more dangerous. Yeah, they're like rabid dogs. And they're not honest. They came from worse upbringings than, than I did. And, you know, I related to some and then I didn't relate to others. And then, you know, I turned 17. And 
I had a terrible experience and I just said, I got to get away from my parents. I got to get away from these graffiti writers. I got to get out of Dodge. I got to get out of New York. So I joined the U.S. Army as a paratrooper in the 82nd Airborne. And, and I this, went to just, just 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 hang on. This was almost like you had the awareness that like you were the product of your environment, and your environment was toxic, and it definitely wasn't helping you to grow and become who you wanted to be. Was it almost like that? Like retrospectively, when you look at it, was it that kind of going? I need to get out of here, otherwise I'm just going to end up in jail or something. Or you yeah, know. I mean, I'll give you a little bit more color. I I mean, this is a crazy story. I don't think I've ever told this story publicly. Um, so. You guys make me feel so trusted. I'm going to share this story with you. I was painting my name big on a subway platform on a Sunday afternoon by myself. You know how they say, you know, you know, you're an alcoholic if you're drinking by yourself. Right. I knew I was like screwed up because I was writing graffiti by myself. And this was supposed to be a group activity. And I was out there by myself because I couldn't get anyone else to paint with me that day. And a long story short, I got arrested. I escaped. Um, and then, like, I got home and I, I got beaten up by the police officer. I was dirty. I almost got killed by jumping on the tracks from in front of a train. And I'm bleeding. I'm bruised. I'm black and blue. And, like, I'm terrified. And so I clean up my act and, and I'm saying to myself, holy shit, I'm 17 years old. Had I got arrested, I'd be someone's rag doll in jail right now. <laughs> like someone would be someone would be raping my scrawny little butt. And that was terrible. And and I just felt like the environment of where I was in was going to end, I was going to end up either in jail or dead. Like it was very clear. And because of my prior circumstances, I didn't have the grades to go to college. Like, like I just couldn't go. And it was so foreign. Like I hated school. Like I, I couldn't even imagine like doing that transformation from where I was. So I thought, like, and I had watched a lot of TV when I wasn't creating problems. I was watching TV. There were these U.S. Army commercials, which looked so much fun. Like these guys were in camouflage, swinging on ropes, climbing walls. It looked like a, a Joe DeSanta Spartan race, you know, obstacle courses. And then they had this slogan, be all you can be. And then at the end, they had like Army College Fund. Like when you get out, they got a fund and you could go to college. So in my brain, I thought like, oh, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to go to the army and it's going to be like Private Benjamin. Like we'll just be exciting camaraderie, but I'll get into great physical shape. I'll learn some skills. I'll save some money. You know, maybe I'll get a tattoo and um, and then I'll get out of the army. Then I'll go to college. And, you know, then I'll get married and have a happy, normal life. And like, boy, was I mistaken. The army was like a, 
jail, except in in jail, they pretty much leave you alone. In the (laughs) army, it's like jail, but they're bossing you around, telling you what to do and failure to respond, like jumping up. Yes, sir. No, sir. Like you're doing push-ups and they make you just miserable. Like the (laughs) army miserable environment. And and I wanted out. It was just terrible. And I how long were you there for? Deep. How long were you there for, Doug? Wow, you guys are going deep. Oh, sorry. I was, okay. I'm fascinated. This is like watching a movie. Like, were you two years? <laughs> were you a year? Were you eight years? Were you five months? I, I signed up for a several year stint, three or four years, and I got out after 13 months. Wow. See, last of the year. Well done. So, so here's the story. I learned, and guys. I thought we were going to talk about sprouts. So oh, yeah, I don't, we, can. we can get I'm just, We can get to sprouts. so much okay. in you. Like you're just so fascinating. Well, so the first day I land in, in, in St. Louis, Missouri, they get on a bus and, and we end up, there's 17 inches of snow on the ground. I bought my duffel bag with everything that, that I thought I would need, except maybe my teddy bear. Right. So I get there and immediately, the drill sergeant takes my bag and pours it out onto the snow, takes my big duffel bag. And, and I look at him and he gives me a look like I should die. And I like, I look away. So I start grabbing my stuff and he goes, you don't need that. Get up. And I give him a look like, who are you talking to? Like, I'm your volunteer. Treat me with some dignity. And and then he had me doing push-ups in 17 inches of snow. And then, like, didn't feel very good, right? And then, you know, they shave your head. They, they give you some army gear. And then they immediately start bossing you around. And the, the fellow troops, like, no one's happy there. It was just, like, not a good thing. And I'm like, God, I, I made a terrible mistake. I, I want to go home and be back on the nipple. Like, put me back on my in my mother's <laughs> womb. Like, this is terrible. Like, how do I get out of here? So, I went to, to the 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 drill sergeant at about ten o'clock at night. Everything's starting to wind down, and I said, "Sir, you got the wrong guy. Like, I want out. Like, just put me back on the next bus. I want to go home." And he says, Private Evans, there's no way out. I go, what do you mean? And he goes, you signed a contract. You are an indentured servitude, indentured servant. We own you. He goes, you can leave. There's no bars on these windows. But if you leave, you're going to be a fugitive and we will find you. And then you think you got a bad now? You will be doing hard labor for being AWOL, absent without leave, abandonment of your position. This is no joke. Now get out of my office. I was like, holy. So so I'm now, I want to go, but that's not really an option. I don't want to be a fugitive. I saw that movie. And so I'm, I'm, I'm lying in the bunk bed and I'm looking up at the bunk bed, I'm looking around and I'm like, oh, I'm here for a reason. Like my 
intuition brought me here. I signed up. Like I'm here for these lessons. So I decided at that moment that I was going to be all I could be. That if they asked me to do something, that I would instantly become that person. Like I was becoming the best soldier because I couldn't do the homework, right? I couldn't speak foreign languages. They're trying to teach me, you know, Hebrew, French, Spanish. Like I just liked English. Um, you guys kind of speak English. So um, <laughs> but I figured the stuff that they were asking me to do in the army, I was at ground zero, square one with all these other blokes. And if they could do it, I could do it. What I needed to do was keep my ego and self-sabotaging behavior in check. So whatever they told me to do, I was going to do. Like whatever they, they told me jump, I would say how high. They'd say run one mile, run two. They'd say show up for formation, you know, 5.55 a.m. I'd be there at 5.45. Like shine your shoes, iron your things, keep all your shit neat. Whatever they asked me to do, whatever they threw at me, I just sucked it up. I just, I became like a brainwashed zealot and a machine. And it was very much like, you can't hurt me. I am here. I felt like Al Pacino in Scarface when he's getting the bullets in it. I was like, I could take it. I could take it. And I, I felt invincible in that moment. And the more pain, the more I, I dove in. So fast forward, um, one year, two weeks into this part, I went through airborne training, infantry training, combat engineer training, special forces, explosives and demolitions training, 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 training. And I got recognized for my leadership, for my intelligence, for my contribution to the 82nd Airborne. And I got nominated to go to officer candidate school. So I was on my way, rising through the ranks. Then I got the tap. Private Evans, come into my office. And nobody sits down in the, in the captain's office. And he's like, sit down. And I'm thinking like, Oh, I, they're just going to, you know, he's just going to make me his buddy. He's just going to like, you know, immediately give me my stripes and I'm going to like become an officer like that. And he starts to ask me questions like a psychiatrist, like this man was very heartfelt. And he's like, Private Evans, were you ever arrested? I was like, yes, sir. And he's like, did you do this? No, you do this. Like there, he's asked me about like armed robberies, crazy stuff. No, no. He's like breaking and entering. Yeah. Um, criminal trespass. Yeah. Um, possession of burglar tools. Yes. I said, yeah, that's everything you do as a graffiti writer. Like those are the things graffiti writers do. And he goes, did you disclose this to your um, recruit, your recruiter when you were joining the military? And I said, absolutely. He goes, well, did you get an affidavit? Did you fill in these forms? And I said, I was a juvenile and they said my record was sealed and that 
as a juvenile, none of this mattered. Like now, you know, I'm free because I was a juvenile and I paid all of my dues. Like I'm clean. He goes, oh, you're not a, a fugitive. You didn't do anything there, but you did not disclose this and you didn't get a waiver and an exception. And for most other troops, like 99.9% .9 of other troops, it wouldn't matter. But you wanted to become an officer. So we now ran a top secret security clearance on you and all this stuff showed up. So you've got to leave. You're out. And like my poker face came on and I go, could you say that again, sir? And he's like, we have orders from the commanding general department of the army that we need to discharge you for fraudulent enlistment. And I said, I don't understand. He goes, well, the army has a policy that says fraudulent enlistment weakens enlistment standards and rewards dishonesty. And it is a no exception rule. Like this is, you're out. And in my mind, I'm saying, holy cow. I feel like that, that slave that was rowing the boat and the other slaves weren't rowing. And this slave was rowing and building up big muscles like the, the happy pair brothers. And then when the boat, you know, hits, you know, the rock, um, the, like he was strong to be liberated from the shackles and all the weak guys who didn't do the work, they went down with the ship. <laughs> I felt like my hard work, I was liberated. <laughs> I kept my face and then, um, he says, look, I could give you one of three different kinds of discharges. I can give you a dishonorable discharge. I could give you a general discharge, or I can give you an honorable discharge because that is within my purview. I control that. And I'm hoping for a general discharge, right? Because I didn't want the dishonorable discharge. It didn't sound very good. And he surprised me and gave me an honorable discharge and an army achievement medal for my meritorious service under his command. Jeez. And he was I'm wow. delighted the happiest man ever to be discharged. So like like what a story. Like that's like I I'm in I'm that was glorious. And like, I guess that sounds like that was the making of your character in a sense. It's almost like that was the hard night of the cell, which kind of triggered this kind of like, this is happening for to me for a reason. How can I make the best out of this? But, but also I think it's often these values of um, kind of consistency, discipline, commitment. Modern society doesn't celebrate these characteristics. They're kind of, they're like age old kind of characteristics that, you know, somewhat can be militaristic and they're kind of not celebrated in our culture. Everyone's looking for a quick win. Everyone's looking for, a you hack. know, the hack. Whereas ultimately, I think a huge amount of any type of quote unquote success comes out of discipline, commitment, resolve. And I, I, I wonder, was a significant part of that for you, the sense of going through this dark, this challenging time where you had to find this place within yourself, that strength and that perseverance and that make peace with the, the challenge. Yeah, I mean, you know, I pushed myself really hard. And then, you know, I got out of the army and I still felt like a failure. Like here I got thrown out of school and now I got thrown out of the army. So I got out of there because, you know, 
it was it was a tough situation. I mean, many, many troops that were in my platoon, you know, went off to Iraq and Afghanistan and um, never came back. Right. So, you know, substantial amount of these, you know, innocent young men, you know, died for for causes. Um, so I may very well have been dead from being on the street or I could have been dead from being in the military. But when, you know, when I got out, I just felt free and I had the discipline and I made the resolve that I was going to be honest. Like I was just going to be honest. Like the, the you know, I, I guess they, they, they try to teach you that, but in a way, if, if you can do these little crimes and get away with them, you just think like, oh, crime pays, right? And then you see how things can come back to you. And I read Dostoevsky's book, Crime and Punishment, you know, which talks about the crime itself is the punishment. The guilt and the knowledge and the awareness of that infraction, you know, will come back and haunt you. So I was like, you know what? I know I can work. Like, yes, sir. <laughs> can we talk about sprouts? Yeah. Like I, yeah. Like, I absolutely love all these stories. I really do. But I know we should talk about Sprouts. I, and I know we should land the ship. Maybe, maybe. Not even land no, the ship, because I want to talk but, about but Sprouts. But no, I no, think. no. I think let's get Doug on again. Will you but come on again, Doug, and talk exclusively about Sprouts? Because I feel like we've kind of curtailed your your desire to talk about well, Sprouts. Well, I thought we did a have... hybrid today. Like, we talked about food, and then we talked about, like, character and other things. But, like, I, I want to talk about entrepreneurship and character and all these type of things as well. As, like, I know. I, I, I have an appointment with the... Uh, my, our accountant in 12 minutes. Okay, well, look, I, let's just get into Sprouts. We can, yeah, let's we go can, for Sprouts and we can do, we can uh, hang out more and talk more. Yeah, uh, I'm, I might end up talking a little faster. So anyone- yeah, let's who, do it. Anyone who normally speeds up your podcast is going to be hearing me at like 12X. So, <laughs> <laughs> I listened to okay. you 1.8X there this afternoon. Just want to say before you start, Doug, you're wonderful. I'm really enjoying this conversation. You're a legend. Oh, terrific. Well, I you're love refreshing. you. Guys. I love you're you. Like my reflection. Yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah. I really feel like you're my brothers. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, so I've had this journey. I've had success. You know, I sold a company. I did well. It bought this land and, and the houses. And then, you know, I went to Silicon Valley. Juicero was one of the greatest experiences for me because I came up with an idea. I raised the capital. I built the machine. We sold thousands of machines and over a million servings. And we were doing a million dollars a month in revenue. Like the business from all stakes, you know, should have been successful. Um, and to me, it was successful um, on many fronts. After it got composted, I decided that I was going to take some time for myself. And I followed my heart and my intuition. And I moved to the desert, to the Mojave Desert. Um, and I bought five acres of land that had hot springs on them. And I thought like, I'm going to have this glorious life. Um, we have dark skies. I could see the Milky Way and the galaxies and the stars and I have hot springs. So I'm just going to really heal. And I, I filled up this enormous cooler from LA with all this gourmet, raw, vegan food, and a day and a half into it, like it's all gone. So I went on to my phone 
and I'm looking for a vegan near me. I'm looking for a happy pair near me. Nothing. The nearest Whole Foods was an hour and a half away. I drove there and coming back, I was like, this can't work. I need to find another way. So I said to myself, uh, what can I do? What can I do? You know, and then all of a sudden, boom, sprouts, sprouts. And I had been growing sprouts for 25 years. But to me, sprouts were always a garnish. They were always like a side dish. They were maybe a snack. And here I said, well, I'm just going to see if I could just live on sprouts. I'm going to go on the sprout diet, see if I could live on sprouts. So I started with um, alfalfa sprouts and mung bean sprouts. And within a month, I'm sprouting alfalfa, azuki, arugula, radish, clover, chia, chickpeas, lentils, um, uh, green peas, um, all sorts of sprouts. And I'm sprouting in jars and in trays on unbleached paper towels, like everything I could do to sprout like I was sprouting. And by the end of the month, in like a small area, it was whittled down to one cubic foot, like the size of a milk crate. I was growing more sprouts than I could eat in the course of a day. Like I was getting thousands of calories from sprouts. And this was too good to be true. Like here I was thinking that I'm going to go hungry because I was not only in the desert, I was in a food desert, but with the sprouts, all of a sudden, like, you know, a broccoli sprout may be bitter, but a lentil sprout is kind of crunchy and a garbanzo bean sprout is kind of light. And like, I was just having so much fun eating the sprouts that I said, maybe this is too good to be true. Cause I feel I could live forever on sprouts. Like I had trimmed off a layer of like baby fat that I had had for most of my life. And I was like lean. I'm like running in the desert. Like I had strong energy. So I ended up making a few phone calls, right? And you know about my persistence. So some of these few <laughs> phone calls may have been a few hundred phone calls. <laughs> but, but eventually I get Dr. Oz on the phone. I get... um. Dr. Dean Ornish and Dr. Joel Kahn and Dr. Josh Axe. And these people, you know, some of them are functional medicine, some are ketogenic, some are plant-based. And turns out they were all closet sprouters. They loved sprouts. And then the information started to become really clear that sprouts were vegetables and that Every and, and vegetables are food, right? You guys eat vegetables. So sprouts were vegetables, vegetables were food. Sprouts were vitamins and minerals and actually contained every single amino acid and every benefit of the whole food plant-based diet could be achieved by eating sprouts. And I was like, whoa, whoa, unbelievable. And everything you could get in the sprouts, like they had everything. And then on the third part in my discussions, um, I discovered that sprouts were medicine that you could treat, not cure, but treat and prevent 
cancer, heart disease, diabetes, Alzheimer's, asthma, um, autism um, by eating sprouts. So that's what motivated me to write the sprout book because I felt like, why didn't everybody know this information? Like, why didn't everyone do it? And I challenge you too, you know, Steve and Dave, like you should try eating sprouts exclusively, you know, for a day, then a week, and then a month and see how you feel. Just see how you feel because it's incredible. But I realized I could say that to you, to your audience, they can also do it. What might be more of an, an approach is that they can add sprouts to their salads, to their smoothies, to their snacks, like just find a way of incorporating sprouts into your life. And people are like, oh, I don't know how to grow anything. I was like, I grew up in a 400 square foot apartment. I never had a garden. I never had a farm. I never grew anything. But sprouts grow in a glass jar with water and some cheesecloth. Like sprouting is the easiest thing to do, you know, which is why I wrote the book to make the awareness out there. And um, they grow in days, not weeks, months, or years. They grow without soil, without sunshine, without fertilizer, without insecticides, pesticides, fungicides. You just need seeds and water. And you can, that's it. That's it. I, like, I like your okay, change of tone there. Your change of tone there was beautiful. It was like, that was manifesting love rather than persistence. It, it was, was beautiful. Yeah. You moved into your heart. <laughs> we're there, total Doug. advocates of sprouts. Because, man, and your, book, your book has become a number one bestseller, hasn't it? Like it, it was in the 1% of best books in Amazon. And it's like, it really has created this ripple in terms of sprouting. And like we know from experience, just the benefit of eating sprouts, like it's, it's not just the food you eat, it's the vitality within the food you eat. Nowadays, you know, not only is the single biggest thing you can do for a climate crisis to eat a plant-based diet, it's to eat local, to eat organic, and it's to eat foods that don't consume a huge amount of water in the growing process, whereas sprouts tick all those boxes. Like they're the 10X just all those literally boxes. the most vital food you can consume beyond sunlight. Yeah, so I'm so excited about sprouts. And that's where I say... You know, if Juicero was financially successful, I would be like, a, a, you know, rich and powerful, you know, but I, I would have missed this opportunity to share this message about sprouts. So that's the, the benefit. Like, that's what I'm saying. This stuff that looked so dark and bleak at the time was the best thing in the world for me. Like, look, you know, this this podcast with the two of you, like I feel like we're blood brothers, like we're exchanging more than blood and energy and love that that this connection is happening, not just with you two, which, by the way, is extraordinary. I love both of you. And I love <laughs> and, and I love Harold. But, you know, I met, you know, Rich Roll and I fell in love with Rich. Right. And I met um, Darren Olean. You know, I fell in love with Darren and I met a Simon Hill, you know, from Australia and fell in love with that guy. And there's just so much love and pouring and abundance. And I moved. I'm going to tell you another story of manifestation. I moved to the Mojave Desert. I'm living in a yurt, right, which is a, a tent that I had from Burning Man. I'm living here by myself in a town that's 137 square miles with 600 people. 
I think I'm the only vegan in the town. People don't understand what I'm doing here. Um, and they're saying, Doug, you're never going to meet your life partner. You're never going to meet your, you know, anybody in the desert. And I was like, you know what? I am so sick of going to Los Angeles and New York and meeting unavailable, beautiful women that don't see me, they don't understand me, that I'm just going to do my thing. I'm going to build my hot springs out. I'm going to deal with my sprouts. And I'm going to use the power of attraction. Like I'm just going to do the things and I'm not going to worry about anything. And let's see, within six months of living here, I started to invite different people and other people wanted to come soak in the hot springs, watch the sunrises, watch the sunsets. So my friend brought, you know, one of the women who he was dating and she went back and said to her friend who was visiting um, the U.S. and said, hey, you know, if you're in, you know, California, go visit Doug. You know, it's a nice place. He's a smart guy. You know, he'll feed you some sprouts. Just go visit. Wasn't like a blind date or a setup. And to confirm that I knew it wasn't a blind date or a setup because I told her to take the bus from Los Angeles to Palm Springs. <laughs> and if this were a date, I would have driven all the way there and, and picked her up. Just so you know. But I was, <laughs> we I believe you, Doug. And so fast forward, um, you know, we've been together since. You know, like the life changed and she's just a magical being. And like, I'm pretty extreme, they say, and eccentric. <laughs> and for eight months, she lived in the yurt with me. Like she moved into the yurt. Eventually she's like, Doug, we can't both be on phone calls and Zoom calls out of the thing. We got to get a cabin. So, you know, we now have a 400 square foot cabin. Um, but so many things have happened just by not worrying about the past, not worrying about the future, just saying, what am I going to do now? Like, what's in the now? How can I be fully embodied in the now? And and that's it. So like in the now, like when I reached out to, to Stephen, I said, oh, I need to, to message. I message Stephen because I want to be like in the happy pair family. I know these guys are going to love me. Like I got to I got to break through their veneer because everyone like they're celebrities. Everyone wants to be in their energy field and they've got like guardrails up. So I got to like pierce through it with love. And I just got to be myself, like no strategy. I just, the strategy is to be myself. And that's the power of like being on high vibration, energy, sprout-based lifestyle. <laughs> Doug, you are hilarious. You are so good. Wonderful. And I'm going to take you up on that offer of going on sprouts. Maybe I'll do a day on sprouts just to see what it's like. Tomorrow? And then and then push. Yeah, maybe tomorrow. Okay, tomorrow I'm just going to eat sprouts. I will okay. document it on Instagram. Tomorrow I am going to eat sprouts. This is exclusively sprouts. And we're sprouts. in a very fortunate position that we have a sprout farm, so it's quite easy for us. So yeah, I'm going to go find loads of sprouts in the sprout farm later. Yeah, well... Well, let, let's do a live and talk about that. Okay, let's do it. Yeah, I'm going to just eat sprouts. Are you going to just eat sprouts too tomorrow? 
Sure. Okay, we're just we're both just eating sprouts tomorrow. What day is tomorrow? Tomorrow's Tomorrow's Friday. Friday. Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, we're just eating sprouts. Tomorrow's sprout day. Let me just check my diary. Tomorrow's sprout day. Yeah, yeah sprout. I'm in. I'm up. Yeah, I I'm love up. it. For it's Sarah, happening. Sarah is a fiend for the sprouts too. So Sarah, will you join us too? No, I'm not. <laughs> oh, most likely we got a half commitment from Sarah. I mean, I am dating Harold, the actual yeah, Sarah and our Harold are um are wonderful dating, together, so. and uh, they eat a lot of sprouts. But they, maybe they'll go all out. They'll go 100 percent tomorrow. Maybe. We'll yeah. Well, look. Okay, I, I think that you know Sarah is uh, her own individual person. So oh, I love know, it. So you can invite Sarah to participate and you have to accept whatever she chooses. I love it. I love it. Doug, Doug, you are, can, Doug I, can you tell everyone about your book or where they can learn more about you? And we will have yeah. you back to talk. We will 100% have promise. you back if you'll come on. Will you come back yeah. on again to talk about Sprouts? Uh, and everything, because sure. you can't just talk. You talk you're just so multifaceted. So, so thesproutbook.com, www dot the sproutbook.com is my website and you could sign up for my newsletter on sprouts and I'm going to send out a lot of information on sprouts you know to you my instagram is doug evans just my name doug evans and my tiktok which I'm just Ooh. starting to play around on tiktok is um kind of goofy like all tiktok things it's sproutarian s p r O-U-T-A-R-I-A-N. Oh, right, very so good, Doc. Very creative. Yeah, it's, it's it's simple, but it's, you know, I love it and I'm so happy. And look, you know, I was only in your physical energy field, like in total for maybe like a couple hours, right? Over a weekend. But mm. I feel like I've known you my whole life and you guys are so filled with love and, and joy and positive energy that and you've done vipassana like yeah, yeah you know yeah. like it, it's really interesting my best relationships are with people that have done vipassana because they you know th they've gone through that mental discipline shift to become aware uh, of clingings cravings and aversions and, so, kind of, and had to sit with yourself and kind of face the darkness and face some skeletons and, you know, address some things that maybe slay some demons with like the swords of truth. I think there's a, there's a, there's, yeah, there's, yeah. There's, yeah. yeah my Go next ahead. Vipassana, I'm going to go back and just serve. Like, I oh, yeah, we did serve. that. Yeah, we yeah, did we that for about a month. I served for a month once. It was brilliant. I loved it. Yeah. Yeah, we did that. It was such a laugh, actually, which sounds strange in a meditation center. We laughed like so much, yeah. which sounds strange. Wow. Anyway, good. guys, my heroes, the, the happy pairs, my, my heroes. Right. <laughs> so inspiring. Like, I really, I'm lit. I, I, that was like, I, I'm almost lost for words. I enjoyed that so much. I felt for the first half, it, like we were literally just the three of us in the room, just like, just hanging out and just talking philosophy and that. I kind of wanted to campaign philosophy and then we went into the backstory. Hope you enjoyed that as much as we did. Doug is so inspiring. I think he's... A really lit human. Yeah, it really is. There's so many aspects to him. And, and as we said, we definitely want to get him back to talk about, there was there was certain topics, as I said, the kind of woo-woo ones, but there were... And also to talk more about sprouts, I felt like we didn't give the phenomenal food that are sprouts, literally the healthiest food on the planet beyond sunlight, I reckon. But one his, of the... his entrepreneurial journey is incredible and all his kind of highs and lows and everything in between. And his, and his thirst for life, I think is wonderful. He's got this insatiable yeah, appetite. Yeah. So I hope you got a lot from that. Uh, as he said, he's on Instagram, he's on 
on YouTube. He's on all the various things and his book is brilliant. We've actually read it. So yeah. would highly recommend it. Um, and lastly, just to say, you might have heard in the intro, we do have a new book out available to pre-order. It's called The Veg Box. The goal of it is to kind of reduce food waste, encourage people to eat more plant-based. It's 10, the 10 most common veg. Use there 10 is ways. some sprouts in a few of the recipes. Use 10 ways use, with only 10 ingredients or less. Um, yeah, it is available. Um, we'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah, so thanks, Mel. Hope you enjoyed it. Lots of love. Check it out. Bye, 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 bye